Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Two weeks ago, we uh, launched our 2023 Advent series by saying that one of the main messages, arguably the main and most important message of the Christmas story, is the wonderful reality, because of what happened over 2,000 years ago, we have Emmanuel, God with us. And we entitled the series, The Withness of God, the fact that God is with us. We boldly declared that Christianity is unique. The the world's religion have certain common traits in, in similarity, but until the gospel of Jesus Christ burst upon the Mediterranean world, No one in the history of human imagination had conceived of such a thing as the worship of a crucified man. The witness of God is truly remarkable, unique, and standalone. And with this to the fore, two weeks ago, we looked at the reality of what we can now know of God with us. And we looked in the first week of the consequence of knowing his peace, that peace that passeth all understanding. And last week, we looked at the the reality of his love for us. And today, we look at the joy that comes to us, the joy that is ours, that comes through the reality of knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So I want to read 14 verses from Luke chapter 2. Again, the Christmas story. Luke 2, verses 1 to 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, The time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place in the guest room. Now, in the same region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace amongst those whom he favors. If there is a single word that describes what Christmas is all about, then it has to be this little word, joy. Already we've sung some of the carols that reflect that. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. There is this constant theme through the songs and through the carols of Christmas around joy. Joy given to us uniquely through the coming of Christ. But I wonder how many of us actually feel joy today. 
Is this our living and vital and perhaps even normal experience? Of course, perhaps not every day, but it is, it is joy an underlying part of our Christian walk. Is joy today a reality of our faith with Jesus Christ? Are our lives actions, words, reactions characterized more often than not by joy than perhaps anxiety or worry or doubt? What is our first and what is our natural reaction when we are faced with situations? You know, joy is made possible by the magnificence of Jesus dwelling amongst us. I'd like to suggest that joy is one of the most important things in the whole of the universe. It is so crucial to our lives here on earth. C.S. Lewis says about joy, he calls it the serious business of heaven. Uh, An anonymous writer says this, joy marks the difference between existence and life. Its presence upgrades survival to being. Joy is our enjoyment of God and the good things that come from God. And probably, in my opinion, the best non-biblical writing on joy is this. It comes from Rick Warren. It says this, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. You know, the paradox of our time in history is that we spend more, but we actually have less. We, we buy more, we enjoy life very often less. We have more degrees, but there seems to be less common sense around. There is more knowledge, but also there is more judgment around. You know, We seem to have so many experts and yet we have more problems. We have more medicine than ever before in the history of mankind, but there is less wellness in our world. We have multiplied our possessions but reduced our values. We have learned how to make a living but not a life. We've added years to life but not life to years. And we've learned to rush more and more and not to wait But where is the joy? You know, we've conquered outer space, but inner space seems perturbed. We've done larger things, but not better things. We've cleaned up the environment, but we polluted the soul of mankind like never before. These are the days of two incomes, but more sadness, fancier houses, but more broken homes. But then we get challenged, maybe even confronted as followers of Christ by such verses as Proverbs 10, 28, which say, the prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. So in this Advent season, in order to briefly unpack the witness of God and this aspect of joy, I want to turn to Philippians and read a familiar passage from chapter four. You will all know it, but I just want to take time to just to read it this morning. Paul says to the Philippians, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. 
His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Philippians is often called the joy letter or the letter of joy. Paul uses the noun joy five times and the verb rejoice eight times. And the entire letter exudes an attitude of joy and delight. We would have expected that Paul had just won the lottery and was about to retire to his new home on some Greek island. But in reality, he is imprisoned in Rome, changed chained to Roman guards and awaiting trial for a crime he did not commit. This right here probably highlights the profound difference between Christian joy, joy found in Christ, and Western happiness. Happiness derives from the word happen or happenstance and refers to the pleasant Feelings that we come from that come from favorable circumstances. I usually feel very happy when my sports team wins. I always feel happy when they win. I am always happy on holiday because I am where I want to be with the people I like being with and doing what I want to do. We even have happy places. There is nothing wrong at all with this. Happiness is a blessing from God. But since happiness is mainly dependent on favorable circumstances and feelings, it is extremely fragile to pursue in a fallen world. Pursuing happiness as itself as an end is probably not a wise thing to do because we are at the beck and call of circumstances around us. Joy, as used in this letter, is not just the feeling although it involves our feelings. It is a deep-seated sense of well-being that God grants us as we trust in him. Therefore, it is entirely independent of our circumstances. As we can see from the following verses, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 10 tells us, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Notice how joy is also closely connected to hope, the hope that we have in God, which is a confidence and a hope and assurance of a secured future. Kay Warren puts it like this in her book, Choosing Joy. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise in all things. Therefore, a good and verbal question to this, a valid question to ask is, what enables us to have this hope? What enables us to have this joy? Paul, in his letter to the Romans, gives us an incredible insight into the situation. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. 
then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the answer to where does our joy come from is that the Holy Spirit mediates hope and joy to us as we trust in him. So what does this trust look like? What is it like? How do we, as it were, allow the Holy Spirit? How do we position ourselves so the Holy Spirit mediates us, mediates it to us? You know, when you talk about things like joy and things, many things like that, it's hard to put into words, but let's try. First of all, joy is not superficial and flimsy, but it is deep and firm. This is why people like to distinguish it from happiness and pleasure. Happiness and pleasure seem too superficial and flimsy. And of course, we do have to be careful here because superficial happiness and superficial pleasure uh, do also come from God, and the Bible speaks about them. You know, Psalm 16 tells us, pleasures forevermore in God's right hand. Psalm 144 says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. So the words happiness and pleasure don't always have to be superficial because in certain circumstances they can mean something similar to what joy is like. But it is true to say that Christian joy is deep and firm rather than superficial and flimsy. The reason we know this because the Bible describes Christian joy as flourishing in the midst of pain and suffering. It seems it's so counter just counter to each other. Romans says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Thessalonians 1 says, you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Corinthians tells us, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of liberality. This is a very unusual state of affairs. For joy not only endures but seems to flourish in affliction. Joy seems to be at its best, at its most, in affliction. It is quite startling to read that Paul's joy could exist not merely alongside suffering, but even in the midst of sorrow, which seems so opposite. He describes himself as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing everything. This is what I'm trying to get at, when we talk about Christian joy is not superficial and flimsy, but it is deep and firm and rooted in our trust of a living God who came as a babe in this Advent season. Secondly, joy is not about circumstances, but a purposeful response amidst the most difficult of circumstances. Being joyful doesn't mean we need to or should be ignorant of or ignore what is going on around us. We don't need to deny the reality of our situation when we find ourselves in difficult time, which sadly is what some followers of Christ tend to do, and they think of themselves as spiritual. There's nothing to be gained by denying the reality around us, but rather it is about having the proper perspective in the midst of whatever life throws us, knowing that Emmanuel, that God is with us. True joy is the setting of the sail of our soul in the winds of circumstance. Joy is living from a new heavenly perspective. When Paul, when Paul commands us to rejoice always, he is not giving us a cute phrase that we put on our fridge. He is writing this with a beaten back sitting in a prison cell. 
Paul knew great suffering. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 28, he recounts his struggles by saying, five times I've received at the hands of the Jews 40 less one lash. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. And in addition to all that, I have to take responsibility for all these young churches under my remit. Yet, it is the same man who, despite all these painful struggles, commands us from a prison cell, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Paul wasn't ignorant of his situation or the pain that he was experiencing, but rather determined to choose joy no matter what. When he was faced with affliction, did he allow himself to get down and depressed, but he chose joy. Jesus gives us the same commission in Luke 6. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. So, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Thirdly, rejoicing doesn't always have to make sense. It doesn't always have to make sense, but it does have to happen. It encourages me that rejoicing always doesn't always have to make sense in, in my life. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations and the last thing I find I want to do is rejoice. But it does have to happen. Actually, and very often when it doesn't, something is amiss in our situations. You see, because joy is not an emotion like happiness, we can rejoice even with tears in our eyes and sorrow in our soul, so whether we, we feel happy or sad, we are still called to rejoice. We must decide to rejoice in every moment, good or bad or ugly, and even, as I said, it doesn't make sense, perhaps especially then. See, to rejoice is a command, and a command to Western, modern minds are not something that we like to hear. You can't tell me what to do. Well, Perhaps we do need to read what this says. Makes some of us uncomfortable. But if we are truly going to follow what Scripture says, then it looks to me that this is what Scripture requires of us in this arena. That whatever situation we find ourselves in, we decide to rejoice. There are times when we must command our minds and soul to come in alignment with truth. In the Psalms, you'll find that the psalmist will do that very, very thing. Psalm 41, and the first part of it, the psalmist asks himself, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Rather than let himself live in self-reflection or the despair, despair of the situation he finds himself in, he commands his soul in the second half of the verse, hope in God, for I shall say again, praise him, my salvation and my God. Joy, I believe very much in the light of what God has done for us is very much an act of the will. Tim Keller tells this story. <coughs> Leo Tolstoy, who is considered by many to be one of the greatest writers of all time, around 1880, he wrote a booklet called Confessions, about his confessions, telling about how around the age of 50, he had an existential crisis. 
He didn't have much of a faith anyway by this time, and he was part of the Russian intelligentsia. He was already pretty well known as a writer, and he asked his friends this question, what happens when we die? And most of his friends would say, well, when you die, you just don't exist anymore. And he was part of the group that said, well, there is no God, so when you die, you just stop existing, and eventually the sun will burn out and everything will go away. Tolstoy started saying, wait a minute, if this is the case, well, why go on? Why should I keep writing books? Surely everything is meaningless. It means that in the end, it doesn't matter what I do because it's all going to be for nothing. In the end, no one is going to be around to know what happened. It doesn't matter, Tolstoy said, whether I'm cruel or whether I'm good. In the end, therefore, nothing makes any difference. So everything is meaningless. Why go on? You know what his friends said to him? They said, Leo, go to the beach. Go shopping. You are a Russian artist. It is okay for you to be morbid. You are allowed to be morbid because that is what Russian artists are like. They told him to stop thinking too much and to just enjoy life. And here's what he said, and this is why he started moving back to Christianity after this. And he says these words. What kind of view of the world is only livable if you don't think about what you believe? What kind of view of the world is only livable if you don't think about what you believe? What kind of view of the world is livable if I just don't think too much about the implications of what I believe about the world. In other words, the world's, the world's peace and joy comes not from thinking about what we actually believe. The less we think about the realities, then the less we really will think about them and be too concerned. So the world's peace comes from not thinking about some of these things. But do you see what the opposite to that is? Is when Jesus is saying, when he says the joy will come from seeing me. The world says, don't think about these things too much. But Jesus says, think about the joy you will get from seeing me. John 16, 22 says, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. If we are Christians today and we don't have a lot of joy, may I suggest extremely gently that perhaps we're not thinking enough. We're not thinking out the implication <laughs> of what we believe. Christians believe that God made this world in joy. It says in Proverbs 8, for it says when God created the world, he was delighting in us. He made it in joy. He made it to be a world of joy. But we have turned away from him. And yet, he did not leave us to rot and go away. He had infinite cost to himself, came into the world as a baby, and then this baby grew and ultimately died for us, and we believe in him. Think for a moment of the value that you, we, I have to him, for him to do such an incredible thing. And he's going on to make the world perfect in the end, and we will be part of this. Think about what the Bible actually says. Think about what we actually believe. And the more we think about it, the more we are going to say, why am I so worried? 
Why am I so downcast? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so upset? Why am I sweating the small stuff? Because my joy is based on the fact that I will see him again. You see, the world's peace and so-called joy, and this may sound harsh and unfair, so again, forgive me. The world's peace is naive. It's unthinking peace. It's actually quite dumb. You get peace and joy as long as you don't think too much about what you actually believe. If you don't think too much about where you're going to go or what's the end game. But Christian peace and joy is intelligent. It comes from thinking more and more about who we are in Christ and what God is doing and what God will do in the future and what the season of Advent is all about. It's thinking those things and embracing them and celebrating them. It's not dismissing what's going to happen in the end. But you see, non-thinking peace is if I spend more, get more, party more, go to the beach more, I'll be fine. Not so. But thinking peace and joy is this. Do you this morning believe that Jesus came to earth and passed back through the heavens and now sits at the right hand of God and today he intercedes for us and he is coming back for us and he is going to make this world a perfect place? How does this not make us joyful and joy-filled? And may I gently say, if we are not joy-filled and peace-filled, perhaps it's because we're not thinking and embracing and devouring what Scripture has said to us. Christianity is intelligent, cerebral joy as much as it is emotional. The joy and the peace of God is thoughtful. It is profoundly thoughtful. Look at me, he says, and when we do this, we will get a joy that nothing or no one can take away. So as I start to bring this to an end, you see, genuine joy is that place in the heart where love and expectation, patience and affection, worship and purpose, and answered prayer and the perfect peace all unite to produce incredible exhilaration and the joy of knowing the Lord. Joy is filled with cheerfulness and gladness and beatitude and blessedness. Genuine joy is only experienced, never adequately described by more words. We sometimes need to speak less and believe more. True joy is something many people never experience in life. Of course, we have all laughed and cried and rejoiced and wept. Our hearts have lamented in sorrow and later erupted in celebration. But genuine joy goes much further and plods much deeper than mere happiness of the heart. And I think it is, it is elusive for many. Joy brings to our heart what resurrection life gives to our, to our corruptible body. Joy is a spiritual experience that transcends the mundane and sometimes what we see in the world around us. Although we have not yet experienced ultimate bodily resurrection, bodily re resurrection life, we can still find abundant joy within our present corruptible body if we are willing to yield and receive the source of this joy unspeakable, that it starts with Christ and then it follows in that we trust him in every given situation. I pray that this Advent season may see the dawn of joy in our hearts in a new and living and real and vital way, trusting anew in the God of the Bible and we think about what he has done. See, the way we live life shows the way we think about God. 
In fact, it shows us what kind of God we believe in. When we think of God, is joy one of the first things that comes to mind? There are two very intriguing verses in Paul's first letter to, Th- to Timothy. One is in 1 Timothy 1 verse 11, and the second is 1 Timothy 6 verse, uh, 6, uh, verse 15. And God is described as blessed. And this is the only place in the New Testament where these two forms of words are used. 1 Timothy says that, which confirms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. And 1 Timothy 6.15 says, At just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And the idea and the concept that is wrapped up in this incredible verse, it doesn't mean that I mean, God is a, is a lucky God or he's a happy, easygoing or a smiley or just a content God. All these are so pathetic, so weak compared to Paul's description of God as blessed. The word actually means something more like he is inherently content and blissful and deeply joyful. That is the God whom we worship. Blessing and joy is not something that God gives, which he does, but more importantly, it is something that he is. So that when we receive God through Jesus Christ, he gives us joy. He is joy. Not only the joy that we get from what we read in scripture, he just implants himself in us. It is inseparable from us. Joy is to be our experience. He is joy. There is a beauty, contentedness, and a purpose, and a love and a power in God that we call joy. And it is ours as we follow Christ. Our joy flows not just from what God does for us, but it flows from who he is, because what he does flows out from his heart. Joy, unspeakable, as it says, and full of glory. Imagine the only thing that we could tell others what we felt about God was the way that we spoke and lived and treated other people. Because what we do displays what we believe much more accurately accurately than what we say. How we live is a bigger speaker of our life and our testimony than what we say. So let me address this question differently. What kind of God does our life tell other people we believe in. Is joy part of that description? Do people see in us this unspeakable joy? Musicians, please. Can you jump? Thanks, guys. As we have gone through Advent, hopefully you'll have seen something of a pattern emerge. Our love and our peace and now our joy as followers of Christ are not in the first instance, based on how we feel, nor what we've done. They all flow from who God is and what Christ has done for us. The foundation of our joy is not whether we've had a good day or not, or whether our families are doing well, or whether our prospects look good, or we have a healthy bank account. The foundation of our joy is that Christ has come and that he is with us. It is grounded in what he has done for us and that he will come again. And that's the reason for the Advent season and why it is so important for us. 
Just as we have peace and hope, so we have joy when we have Christ in our hearts. This Christmas, may I encourage all of us to take some time just to wait in God's presence amongst the craziness of this silly season and ask him to refocus our eyes and heart on him and what he has done for us and to think it through and to think it through and to pray it through and to receive it. As we gather with family and friends this, this summer in celebration of the Christmas season, may we let the joy that Jesus brings fill our hearts with warmth and gratitude. You see, his birth symbolizes hope and love and joy and the promise of a redemption. As we reflect on the profound significance of this miraculous event, may the truth of Christmas permeate our lives with peace and goodwill. May the joy of Jesus' presence lead us to demonstrate and to share with the world around us that joy is part of our experience with him. And as we do so, to share kindness and embrace compassion and cherish the true meaning of this Advent season, that Jesus, Emmanuel, is with us and we have his peace and love and joy that the world can never take away from us. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.